Take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Gospel of Luke chapter 10. You know, I, I was thinking this morning and this week, uh, knowing what songs we, we would be singing, and uh, for a lot of the world, it's strange to sing about a man's blood, but for us, that is everything to us. It is our cleansing redemption. And um, I've been thinking more and more lately about engaging people and there is no shortage of trouble in the world. There is no shortage of evil in the world. And we possess, by the grace of God, the solution in the message of the gospel. And that's an honor to sing about and an honor to proclaim. And I hope your heart was lifted that way this morning. Well, the Lord has a way of working things out uh, as He desires. We know that as we were singing and I was listening and hearing people talk this morning, I was struck with how much of my sermon they were talking about, how much they were saying. So I don't know if they had access to my notes or the Lord just orchestrates things in certain ways. Uh, but we are on the topic that has kind of been bubbling to the surface all morning, and it is this subject that is so very dear to the heart of the Lord, and it is the subject of joining Him in gospel ministry. We call it evangelism. Taking the message of Christ to the world. That is God's ordained way for the gospel to go forth. You realize that, don't you? God has made a plan and set in motion a plan for His gospel to go into the world through us. You hear the, the word of faith and, and hearing is what gives you faith. And that hearing is expressed explicitly by the mouths of the children of God. You and I are to join in the ministry of taking the gospel forward into this world and it is without a doubt one of the greatest joys that a Christian can know in this life if you have ever shared the gospel if you've been an evangelist and evangelized you know that really regardless of result there is nothing like the joy that's found in obeying God in that particular fashion in fact I would even say that evangelism is the pinnacle of the Christian's obedience. It, it's the highest point that we can get to in honoring God with our lives. Walking, him, walking with Him and, and having communion with Him and a, uh, an active, vibrant, genuine relationship with Him, that, that transcends evangelism. But when we talk about obedience and things we can do, let me, let me just tell you, and some of you know this, there is no greater joy than sharing the gospel. And if you struggle to find joy in your Christian walk right now, maybe you're in a rut in life, let me tell you the quickest way out is to share the gospel. Because God has so, so designed us as new creations to find such fulfillment in that particular task. Because we identify with that message, right? We know the necessity of the gospel truth. We know the need for forgiveness. And there is something that God does within our souls when we proclaim that message that resonates with us because we know everybody else needs it too. Just like we do and did. 
However, although evangelism is close to the heart of the Lord and although it's His ordained way for the gospel to go forth primarily in the world and although it's one of the greatest joys that a Christian can know in obedience to to the Lord, it is simultaneously the most difficult task given to us by the Lord. And it's difficult by the Lord's own admission. And it's difficult by the Lord's own definition. And yet, we are still commissioned to go and evangelize. We find that in today's text in Luke chapter 10. If you actually would back up to chapter 9 and remember from last week, Christ talked about the cost of following Him and we encountered three individuals who um, had to make a choice Two of them expressedly and and willingly wanted to follow Jesus and and told Him so. One was called by the Lord, but all three had something in their way, hindrances to following Him. The first guy wants to follow Jesus, but there's some kind of hindrance that the Lord noticed in His heart uh, to to holding on too tightly to comforts, worldly comforts. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. In in other words, if you're going to follow Jesus, you may go without and you may be in need. And, and not just go without comforts and worldly luxuries. You may actually go without uh, necessities. We don't want to limit Jesus' statement to, to nowhere to lay His head. To just talking about you may not have a bed. He means you may not have shelter. You may not have life's necessities. The next guy wants to follow the Lord. But he wants to first go and bury his father. And Jesus says, no, that, that doesn't cut it either. You have to have me as a higher priority than even burying your father. That's a hard statement. The third guy wants to follow Jesus and he says, I, I want to follow you. But first, let me go say goodbye to those at my home and then I'll follow you. I'm actually going to take care of issues and then follow you. I'm, I'm making plans to do so. And Jesus says, no, your heart can't be divided. You've got to go now and not look back. Now, those are hard things and, and that's the cost of following Christ and it's, it's difficult to do. And those are things that require such self-denial, Right? Well, what we find in today's passage is that cost is continuing to be expressed because it's not just the cost of following Him and denying yourself. It's the cost of following Him in even your experiences and in your obedience and in your continued walk with Christ. Because it is difficult to join the Lord in gospel ministry, isn't it? Not only because we may get our hands dirty and Involving ourselves with somebody else's life, trying to proclaim to them the truth of salvation in Jesus, but we may actually encounter hostility. In fact, Jesus says we will. So today, as we come to Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at verse 1 all the way down to verse 17, the first part of verse 17, and we are going to discover the difficult delight of true evangelism. If I could give you a catchy title, there it is. The difficult delight of true evangelism. And I want to be specific about true evangelism just for the sake of clarity so we all know right where we're at. When I say evangelism, I mean explicitly expressing the gospel message. So it's not going on a mission trip to build a home or dig a hole or... or give people food at, at the food shelter. Those things are good and they, they have their place. But when we talk about evangelism and, and going on mission, gospel mission with the Lord, we're talking about explicitly expressing the news of the gospel. 
that we are sinners held accountable to a God who will judge everyone. People do not like that message. But that's not the end of the gospel. We know that. It's that also Christ came and died on a cross for our sins that we can be forgiven of our sins. And He rose again that we can live forever with Him in eternity and in heaven. And that's the message that we're talking about. That's what you and I are tasked with doing. And in fact, if you're not doing that, you're not doing evangelism as defined by Scripture. Evangelism and joining Christ in the gospel ministry is proclaiming that message unashamedly, not perfectly because none of us are perfect but unashamedly and that has within itself difficult delight as you engage this world with the message of light in the gospel and try to drown out the darkness of the world you will reach and find resistance that's what we discover Christ saying in Luke chapter 10 he's sending out 72 individuals And he's commissioning them much like he did his apostles in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. However, he tells of more dangers that these individuals will encounter. And that's where we want to pick up in verse 1. Let's read the passage and we'll come back and begin to walk through it. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So these 72 apparently weren't deterred by Jesus' the cost of following me speech. In verse 2, he says to them as he's sending them out, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages." Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That's the text we want to try to tackle this morning. And the first thing we want to talk about in regards to true 
evangelism as defined by Christ in chapter 10 here is that it is a daunting task. It's a very daunting task. The Lord commissions these 72 and He divides them up two by two and He gives them their uh, places to go, the villages to visit. And, and He says, I'm going to follow up your work. But He tells them of the daunting task in verse 2. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are what? Few. It's plenty versus few. In other, other words, I'm sending you out to do something that you're not going to be able to accomplish. In fact, you're not going to be able to handle it. Because the harvest is ripe. And the harvest is ready. And the harvest is now. It is time sensitive. We have to take care of it now. Some, some of us know that growing up in western Oklahoma with the harvest. The problem is it's a harvest that's hindered according to the Lord in verse 2. Because there's not enough laborers. There's not enough going out. It could be even worse, though, perhaps, if we examine ourselves. And not just that it, there's not enough laborers, but heaven forbid, the laborers may not be working. Now that's a sobering thought. Here's this harvest, and it's plentiful, and it's ripe, and it's ready, and it's urgent, and the laborers aren't working. They're standing around. They're preoccupied. They're spending themselves in other things. They don't care. The task is daunting because the laborers are not working and the laborers are not enough and the harvest is ready to go now. What Jesus is saying to these guys here as He's sending them out is understand the urgency of the mission I'm sending you upon. You have hard work ahead of you. And you have a lot of work ahead of you. And it has to be done now. It has to be done immediately. Not tomorrow, not next year. It's not till you get a program up and running. You have to go now. The harvest is ready. And it's plentiful. Well, I fear that we tend to treat evangelism in the opposite sort of a way, don't we? We can admit here together that, that we fail in this task. That evangelism is important for us as an individual. It's important for us as, as a church. Not only because it's close to the heart of the Lord, but mainly because we fail in it. And we want to do better in it. And instead of seeing the urgency of the harvest and the, the need to get out and do the hard work, we tend to have a casual approach to sharing the gospel. We tend to have a passive approach to sharing the gospel. We tend to be crippled with fear at the thought of sharing the gospel. We don't know the seriousness of the harvest, the urgency of the harvest. And the sobering truth of Christ in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, is that He does not allow us to neglect the harvest. You are sent out for the harvest. You're sent out for the people around us. Regardless of how few laborers there may be, you have to go out and do the work. In fact, we should probably say that evangelism that is not urgent, that is not diligent, that is not constant, that is not consistent, that is not hard work evangelism, 
is evangelism that doesn't understand the daunting task before us. Talk about, and, and Larry talked about this morning, the group we prayed for today. If the Lord were to come back today, 5.5 million people are thrusted into eternity, not knowing the gospel. That's because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. If the Lord were to come back today, our own community, Weatherford, thousands of people would be pushed away from the presence of the Lord because they have not heard the gospel and believed. That's because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. I don't, I don't have to sit here and give you statistics. and I don't, I don't have to guilt you into the reality of the issue. The issue is that billions of people need Jesus and God has foreordained that you and I would be the messengers of the gospel to those billions of people. One of the most familiar texts, at least in my mind, for this truth is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, Paul's talking about the old passing away, the new has come. Verse 18, he says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Not the act of reconciliation, the message of of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Therefore, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see the heart of Paul right there? We plead with you, we beg you, we work and diligently implore you. On behalf of Jesus, who died for your sins, be reconciled to God. That's a man who understands the urgency of the harvest and the daunting tasks set before us. If we do not have hearts for the lost people around us, we do not reflect the heart of Christ. A heart that reflects its Savior is a heart that understands the urgency and the need and the daunting task before us. And, and the daunting task before us is proof that we must get out and diligently do the labor of the laborers in the harvest that people may hear of Jesus and believe. Now there is good news here. Because evangelizing the world may be daunting to us, but it is not daunting to the Lord of the harvest. So he instructs the 72, go out, it's time to go out, here's the necessity of going out, because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, therefore, because of that, because of this daunting task, I want you to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus can draw up an army of laborers. And He can work in the hearts of those of us who need our hearts worked on to grow us in evangelism and make us passionate people of sharing the Gospel who overcome our fears and overcome our hindrances and overcome our reservations for the glory of Christ. If only we pray for such things. And He says pray earnestly. As you go out and you stand... 
stand in front and stare down this daunting task, you're going to realize we need more laborers. We need the Lord to work in the hearts of His children to raise them up to be evangelists. Pray as you go and pray so diligently that the Lord would work through us and in us and in our church so that the millions who are going to enter into eternity may hear the Gospel. That is the desire of Christ Church. So it may be a daunting task, but we're not alone in it. Christ can and will and wants us to plead with Him as we go into the harvest that He may join us in the work. The second thing we see about evangelism is not only is it daunting, it can be dangerous. Verse 3, there's no excuses. I know it's a big assignment. I know the mission's extensive. And I know it's hard work. But verse 3, go anyways. And then he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's not going to be the church's slogan next year. And that's not what we're going to plaster around town. Come to Trinity Baptist Church, you're going to be lambs in the midst of wolves. Because that's not, that's not an encouraging statement. What Christ is saying is, evangelism is not only daunting, it's, it's dangerous. It's not a promise of ease. It's not even a promise of deliverance from ease, or, or from persecution or harm into ease. It's not that you're just going to be able to coast by in your Christian life and, and evangelize here and there occasionally. No, it's a shocking statement that would jolt any of us into reality if we let it sink into our hearts. He says, danger is certain for the evangelist and it awaits them certainly because you are proclaiming a message that is contrary to the way of the world. Maybe a message that saves, but it's not a message that the world likes to hear. It's offensive and you may find danger on your path. Notice here, it's not, not the Lord trying to mask reality, is He? He's not trying to give these 72 a motivational speech. He's saying, this is the cost of following Me. And you're going to experience it. Because you notice what He says there. You're going out, and, and this, this illustration is perfect. The Lord is the Master Teacher. He says you're going out as lambs in the midst of wolves. There is in some way at least, at least in some small minor way, a connection there with His own mission. Who, Because Jesus came as what? Who is He? The, the Lamb of God sent into the world. He was the first Lamb sent into the midst of the wolves. Right. And so what we can find out is, yeah, we may encounter danger, but, but to evangelize is to be like Christ. To evangelize is to go in the midst of the danger. And it is to, to not just give the message of the gospel, it is to spend yourself for the message of the gospel. Just as Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed, we too as the lambs of Christ, by extension, may have to sacrifice that people may hear the good news of Christ. Are you at that place in your heart concerning proclaiming Jesus to the lost world? Two, two things pop into my mind right now about that. One, do you care enough about the glory of God to sacrifice yourself for it? And two, do you care enough about your neighbor 
hearing the gospel message so they can be saved to sacrifice yourself for it. It's not just that we may encounter danger. It's that a lamb who goes into the midst of wolves is certainly sacrificing itself as Christ did. Evangelism is the reflection of a heart of Jesus. Now that may be a minor point. The real point there is the danger that he's saying you're going to encounter. And the illustration is perfect because these two creatures, lambs and wolves, are not equal. One's a predator and one's a prey. One's young and one's an adult. We're not talking about a full-grown sheep. We're talking about a lamb. We're not talking about a wolf cub. We're talking about an adult wolf. One is completely defenseless and one is totally equipped to kill. Has all the skills necessary to do it. And Jesus says that's, that's the case for you in your evangelism. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. So you may encounter danger. And you may encounter hostility. You may be attacked and you may find trouble and you may experience hardships and suffering is certainly on the horizon for you and you will most definitely meet resistance and you will probably encounter hatred. And what does he say? If that's the case, tuck tail and run. He says that's just, just how it's going to be. It's certain. No excuse. Neither is the fear that we may experience of county encountering such danger. No excuse. Now, lest we not understand the reality of this, I want to point out verse 3 of this chapter is not an abstract thought or principle or, or some kind of lofty philosophical issue here. It is something that this very day we have brothers and sisters around the world experiencing. And why are they experiencing it? Because even though they know they're in danger of doing so, they passionately and obediently share the gospel. We have prayed for them, and we do pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters about every three weeks during our, our prayer time and our service. Thus far, we've prayed for pastors who have been martyred, who have been shot, who have been burned. We've prayed for families who have lost their husbands and their wives and their children because they converted to Christianity. We've prayed for families who have lost their homes and their livelihoods, their ability to find a job. They've, they've lost it all because they converted to Christianity, placed their faith in Christ, and shared the Gospel. If you read this verse to them, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, they would say, I totally understand that. And guess what? It's still worth it. I still do it. And I'll lose everything in this life if I have to. And the wolves can devour me so long as I'm proclaiming the gospel as they do so. Don't, don't stand by and think, that's too hard for me. That doesn't motivate me to evangelism because the reality is there are thousands of brothers and sisters who are facing this down today, tomorrow, the next day, and they are still evangelizing. The daunting task and the danger we may experience is no deterrent to those who have the heart of Christ and the desire to see people saved. I think Paul has that same heart he makes a hard statement in my opinion, but he makes it nonetheless. Romans chapter 9, verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed 
and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He says it again in chapter 10, verse 1, in case you didn't pick it up in chapter 9. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, the Jews, is that they may be saved. It is at the core of who I am. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Chapter 1, verse 16, And whatever danger I may incur for proclaiming it, I'm going to do so. It is my heart's desire. Maybe this isn't an issue of laziness. Maybe evangelism isn't an issue of not having the ability to do so. Maybe evangelism is an issue of the heart and not having a desire for the lost around us. And oh Christ, would you protect us from such a callous heart. Number three, the Lord's not done here. He keeps laying it on us. Number three, evangelism requires dependency. Evangelism requires dependency. If you look into verse four, he says, carry no money bag, take no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So you may not find acceptance. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. So, let's try to maybe put ourselves in the, in the position of the 72. Hey, I'm, I'm, I want you to go somewhere and, and do something for me. And proclaim my kingdom coming ahead of me. And it's going to be a task that's really too hard for you to handle. It's daunting. And you might in, engage in hostility. You might find people who, who actually hate you and want to harm you. Oh, and by the way, you can't take anything. It's difficult that he, what he's saying to these people and laying upon them. And he, he gives them these things that they, they can't take and that they can't do. He says, don't take any money bags with you. Now, Common day travelers of this time, they would have tied to their belts uh, a little sack that they kept their extra money in. Now, the Lord may not be uh, preventing them taking money like He did His apostles in chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. He may just be saying, don't take any extra money. Regardless, the principle is the same. Don't think you can meet your own needs. I don't want you to have too much. He then says, don't take any knapsacks with you. Or bags. Leave your backpack at home and your suitcase uh, back in your room. Don't pack them. Don't bother with them. Because I don't want you to take your supplies. I don't want you to be oversupplied. In fact, I don't want you to be supplied in any way. Only what you have. Don't take any sandals with you. Most likely an extra pair. Wear what you have and let them wear out. That, that'll be fine. Don't greet anyone on the road. Be urgent about where you're going. This is a house ministry, a house-to-house -house ministry. Don't get delayed on the road and don't get caught up in, in worthless banter. Go straight to where you're supposed to go and do exactly what you're supposed to do, nothing else. Don't take money for a hotel. You need to knock on a door and see if somebody's going to let you stay with them. If you can find peace there. And if you can find peace there, don't contribute to, to their necessities. Let them feed you. Don't take anything with you. 
He's saying, if you're going to do this and face the daunting task and face down the danger, you have to be 100% completely bought in to me providing for you. You need to be dependent on me. These, these crazy 72 people do it. They obey. They're required here now to, to trust Him right your faith has to be in me, not your money. And your faith has to be in my authority. And your faith has to be in my message. And your faith has to be in my plan. And your faith has to be in my commission. And your faith has to be in, in everything about me, not yourself. They are trusting Christ with their entire future on this mission, uh, mission in, in this ministry. They have nothing to fall back on except Jesus. And in some way, they're acting out the same faith of Abraham, blindly going and doing what Christ has called them to do. And unless you think that's just something in the text for these lunatics, let me tell you, it's the same for us too. If you're going to evangelize the world with the gospel, you have to be dependent upon Christ. Because your money is not going to buy somebody into eternity. And all your possessions in your knapsack aren't going to help you convince somebody to place their faith in Christ. Your casual beating around the bush banter when you greet somebody on the road, that's, that's not going to help either. You have to trust in Jesus. And you have to lean upon Him. And you have to be dependent upon Him. In fact, church, I think that is where we fail in evangelism. Because we are so ingrained in thinking that I have to be eloquent enough. And I have to have all the answers to the questions. And I have to be able to, to stand firm enough in confidence. And I have to do this. And I have to do that. And I have to be perfectly accurate when I share the gospel. Or maybe it won't, won't work. And I understand those things. I understand those trepidations. But the reality is, you will never be eloquent enough. You will never never have enough knowledge you'll never be wise enough you'll never be accurate enough you'll always second guess you'll never have enough confidence but you're supposed to go anyways why because it's christ and his message that does the work not us it's jesus who will make sure his mission is accomplished through us we just go and we go trusting jesus we forget that we too aren't supposed to take anything of our own when we share the gospel. You are to engage somebody with the most wonderful news humanity can know and you're supposed to do it empty-handed. You're supposed to tell somebody, I have the solution to all your woes and all your heartaches and all your guilt and all your shame, and you're supposed to do that empty-handed. Why? Because it is only Christ that will be their solution. And it's only salvation in Him and faith in Him that will save anybody's soul. In fact, we can step back and say, I don't need a money bag, knapsack, sandals. I have what I need to accomplish the mission. I have the Gospel. God saves and we don't have to. We are to be faithful to proclaim that message. Number four. Let's speed up. Evangelism can be disappointing. <clears throat> it's not only daunting, and it's not only 
dangerous and not only requires complete dependence upon Christ, it can be disappointing. It's not always fun. It's not always encouraging. It's not always uplifting. In fact, sometimes it's devastating. If you look into verse 7 again, the end of verse 7, he says, do not go from house to house. Don't, don't go around trying to, trying to beg somebody to stay with you or let you stay with them. I want you to focus. Verse 8, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So th- there's the good news of evangelism. Some people, by God's grace, will believe. And they will receive you, and they will feed you, and you will have your needs supplied for, and they will hear the message, and they will say, yes, that is for me. I need Jesus, and they will become believers. That is the great news. And we are to do that. We may not heal the sick, but we minister to people. And as we minister to people, we tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you through Christ. Trust in Him for salvation, and you will be saved. And the good news, people will be saved. Many of us are examples of that. But, verse 10, there's this glaring transition that Jesus is making in the text. And so he doesn't want his 72 to focus too much on the positive that they're going to experience. He's he's changing the the topic or or the, the positivity here. And he says, but, in verse 10, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. You're going to. It's not a possibility. You are going to encounter rejection. So if we can just maybe work on getting over that fear of being rejected, let me just tell you, it's 100% certain. Christ says it is. You will be disregarded. People will listen and not believe. People will not listen, not care a thing. You're going to enter into towns and you're going to knock on doors and you're, and you're going to visit with people in the town square and they aren't going to listen to you. And you make a public proclamation of their consequence. Your rejection of me is going to be a testimony against you. How do we handle that disappointment? What, what keeps us going? Because if, I, if I'm being honest and, and all that I get out of evangelism is disappointment, I'm not going to be much motivated to evangelize. Well, Christ gives us here in, the, in their instruction how we handle the disappointment in evangelism. It's hope. Because Jesus says, go into the town and tell them even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, Know that the kingdom of God has come near. Nevertheless, you may still repent and believe. Nevertheless, you may still come to your senses and be saved. Nevertheless, you can still trust in Jesus and find salvation in Him. It's an instruction of mercy. Don't, Don't just be disappointed and condemn them, but have hope that they may think upon the gospel message later and be saved. How do we handle our disappointment? It's the hope that they may still yet believe. Number five, evangelism exposes devastation. 
It just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Evangelism exposes devastation. Verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Sodom is a scriptural picture of divine wrath and judgment. So is the other two communities, Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus starts pronouncing these woes in verse 13. What are you, Chorizon? What are you, Bethsaida? For the mighty works had been done in you. For the mighty works that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago when sitting in sackcloth and ashes, a sign of complete humility and submission and, and repentance. But it will be more bearable. There's, there's the same language again. More bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. What about you, Capernaum, verse 15? The, the very headquarters of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Will you be exalted to heaven just because I was there? No, you'll be brought down to Hades. Why? Verse 16, because the one who hears you, 72, evangelist, hears me, but the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. It's not just that we are disappointed when people don't believe the gospel. We see a unique, supernatural, spiritual devastation there because they know when they reject the gospel, they reject God. And that's hard. That's hard to deal with, and that's hard to understand, and that's hard to accept, but that's the reality. Evangelism, unlike anything else, exposes a soul's devastation if they reject God. We come back to this issue of urgency, right? And we go back to Paul's heart in 2 Corinthians 5. I, I implore you through Christ be reconciled to God because I know what rejecting this message means. Dispel the notion now that there are not multiple ways to heaven. There are multiple ways to God and, and they all end in judgment. Only one way leads to God in favor and in peace and eternity in heaven. That's through Christ. And evangelism means you've got to have a, a tough heart because you will see devastation. Well, that's not the only thing. I don't want to end there. The last truth that we want to talk about this morning is that evangelism is always delightful. And I mean always delightful. In the face of the daunting task, in the face of the danger, and in the, the face of complete dependency upon Christ, and in the face of disappointment, and even in the face of devastation, evangelism and sharing the gospel of Christ, whether it's received or not, is always, always delightful. Look at what the 72 say when they come back in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Well, talk about that at another time what that that means in other words really simply put they come back and they experience joy although they have been rejected although christ says it's certain you're going to be rejected they come back filled with joy why because the kingdom of god was advanced and they got to be a part Lord, even the demons are subject to us. As we were healing people and ministering, we were able to, to deliver them from spiritual 
demonic possession. We, we got to see your rule and your authority take root in somebody's life and affect somebody's life. We got to see the kingdom go forth and we got to be your agents and your instruments. You know what that means? Even if it is just one soul that they're talking about, it was worth it. One soul erases the daunting task and erases the concern for danger and erases the... the the hardship of dependency and erases the disappointment and it erases all the other memories of devastation. One soul that places their faith in Christ makes it all worth it. Because what if that one soul is your child? And what if that one soul is your neighbor or your mom or your dad, even a stranger? And what if somebody years and years ago looked and said, one soul is worth it and you for them was that one soul? And we can see and say it is worth it. In that regard, church, evangelism is always, always, always delightful. To be able to stand with Christ as a lamb in the midst of wolves and say, this is the way of salvation. You will know no greater joy. Our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing persecution testify to that regularly it's worth it don't be deterred by all the negativity don't be be scared away by what jesus says is the truth of evangelism when you begin to explain the gospel to the world don't be afraid of what you encounter here because these 72 went out and did it and they came back filled with joy totally amazed and thrilled that christ would use them I think in closing, let me just say this. I think our issue in evangelism, like I said before, is probably a heart issue. And that issue is we don't know the joy of evangelism. Because if you taste the joy that these guys report in verse 17, you'll admit none of the other stuff matters. It is an issue of joy. And people don't serve the Lord and they don't proclaim the gospel because they don't know that joy. When you taste it, when you experience it, you won't let anything, including fear, get in the way of it. I've got to have it. And I want it. And I'll do what I need to do to find it in Christ by telling people of Jesus. So let us be a church of joy, right? Let us be a church who knows the joy of evangelism and clings together and with one spirit, one heart, one mind, one gospel and say, it doesn't matter the daunting task, the danger, the disappointment, the devastation, the, the calculated deficits we may experience in needing to be dependent upon Christ. It is always delightful that people come to faith in Jesus and we are going to be that instrument in the hands of the Lord to do so. It's a difficult text. It's a weighty text. And it's in some ways hard to swallow. Some of you, I, I'm, not a, I'm not always a fool. Some of you, I know it will deter you from evangelism. The reality is you weren't doing it anyways. Some of you, you'll say, I want that joy. And I will stand up with Christ as a lamb in the midst of wolves. And take that message forth because somebody did that to me and somebody did that to them. 
And I want to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord. Well, today we can make a commitment together. I may not be perfect in it, and I may not do it every second of every day, but I will be an evangelist. I will be sent out like these were sent out on behalf of the Lord. That is our task. That's our mission. That's our joy. Some of you, you don't evangelize because you don't believe in Christ. You haven't placed your faith in Christ. You need to believe this gospel message, right? You need to know this Jesus. And, and you can't know this joy until you first know Jesus and have been forgiven of your sins. Behold, today is a day of salvation. That's what Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 6. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Behold, today is a day of salvation. You can be saved today. Know the joy of Christ and working alongside Him in gospel ministry. I pray we all will. Lord, we do thank You for this text, as hard as it may be to swallow. And Lord, we can't mask over it. We can't try to soften it. It's a hard text. It's a hard word, Lord. That You would tell us these things await us if we go out i don't think that the mission of the 72 is vastly different from our mission today i think we experience the same things lord but we can do so in your strength and by your provision and and you will reward us with the joy that they had when they came back it is worth it lord you know in my flesh and in my heart i i would have much rather much rather to have preached a feel-good message. <laughs> Something that makes us walk out of here all, all fluffy-tailed. But this is the reality you shared. And what is so powerful is that in the reality of such, these, uh, these, su- such hard sayings, we still find joy in the task that these people were involved in. So let us see that and walk away with that. Yeah, it may be scary and difficult. But there is great supernatural delight in taking your gospel message on your behalf to the world around us. Lord, make us evangelists. We need to and want to see people converted and placing their faith in you, Jesus. We need it desperately. Would you please make us laborers and send us into your harvest for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom, we pray. Amen.